You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. What's going on, everybody? This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 86, Helping Teenagers Joyfully Practice Their Faith. Well, last week we talked with Brad Griffin about helping students find their purpose. And this week, our guest will help us talk about um, something that goes hand in hand with that, which is practicing their faith. Uh, Students are sort of doing both of those simultaneously. And that is actually how uh, our speaker today suggests handling discipleship, whether you're a student or an adult. Uh, her name is Kate Boyd. Uh, Kate joined us uh, back in the fall of 2021 when we had two episodes in one week talking about deconstruction. And uh, Kate has a, has her first book dropping in a month, and we use that uh, to talk about um, her approach to discipleship and how youth workers should use that perspective to guide themselves as well as their students. Kate is a writer, speaker, and a Bible teacher um, who teaches at conferences and in other settings, and we have an awesome discussion. So let's tune in to my discussion with Kate. Well, Kate, thank you so much for uh, coming back on the podcast. Um, Yeah, it's been a a little bit since you've been on. Yeah. Uh, A lot of of life has happened. Uh, But yeah, thanks for making time. Uh, Your New book, which drops in about a month, is going to guide our discussion today. So can you tell our viewers and our listeners uh, what that is? Yeah, thanks for having me again. I'm really glad to be here. Um, you know, I sort of got my start in youth ministry as a volunteer, and so it's really fun um, to be a part of this. Yeah, so my book is called An, An Untidy Faith, um, and it's Um, And then journeying back to the joy of following Jesus. And it's really sort of a story of um, me getting sort of thrown into a lot of different cultural contexts in a short amount of time um, in the, in the span of a few years. And, um, and just kind of like, as I did and specifically Christian ones outside of the United States. So as that happened, um, I just sort of started recognizing that some of the things that I thought were like essentials in Christian faith or Christian practice or whatever, things that I fought really hard for were actually more cultural things than, you know, quote unquote, like Christian specific things. And so Mm -hmm. the book is really, and it, it sort of walks through some of those examples, whether it relates to theology specifically or church culture and practice and what that looks like. And, um, you know, just how the people that I met overseas, you know, intersected with my life and sharing some of their stories and how it started me on a journey of untangling some of those things um, from my culture to have like more of a global faith that sort of can then translate into a bunch of different contexts, but, um, you know, left me with something that was much more like, um, joyful and peaceful and flexible and, and, um, has really shaped a lot of who I've become today. 
Very cool. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for sending me an advanced copy. It's been fun to read some of that, and uh, we'll be promoing it on the way there for the next month. Um, but yeah, so uh, this episode, from the title, obviously, we're talking about helping teenagers joyfully practice their faith. And uh, last week, we talked with Brad Griffin from Florida Youth Institute about helping teenagers find their purpose. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this fits nicely with that. Uh, in your In your upcoming book, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you present the best way to understand our purpose as followers of Jesus and how to practice our faith in Jesus is kind of hold those together. I'm talking about in your book, you have an apt description of orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthopathy. Um, so Kate, could you tell us why it's important for youth workers to realize this themselves as they're helping guide students with the more holistic perspective of living and practicing their faith? Yeah, I think um I think the challenge and and maybe I'll like orthodoxy, right, is right belief is sort of the mm-hmm. the bucket we have for that. Orthopraxy, right, is right doing, right practice. And then I didn't make up the word, but I sort of like reappropriated it for my own mm-hmm. purposes. Orthopathy, which is more like right being, right becoming. And that sort of for me is like the maturity element, right? Like you can be taught, quote unquote, the right things, and you can even engage in the right practices. But if we look at the things that Jesus prioritizes, or even, you know, some of the other, the rest of the New Testament, and, and, you know, even throughout the Bible, there's an emphasis on like why you do something and how you do something being just as important, right, as what you're doing or what you're believing. And I think that's sort of like the missing piece in a lot of um, discipleship practice today is that we sort of forget that we're also shaping like good human beings along the way. Like if that's not the result of our orthodoxy and orthopraxy, then there's something missing in the whole, in the whole process. And so I sort of use the fruit of the spirit as the guide for like what orthopathy is, right? It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience. It's all these ways that love shows up in our lives. And so, um, you know, that means that it's often like, formed through like conflict or just like engaging in human relationships and navigating those. And that means that we have to be aware of our humanness and we have to be like equipped to deal with some of those things. Like how do we have conversations when we disagree and how do we even understand that something we're feeling is, you know, quote unquote, is because we're like triggered, right. Or because we're in this or because we're tied up in this thing or that thing. And so there's this sort of like element. I think that we have a lot of, at least in the traditions I grew up with, there was a lot of like separation between like physical and spiritual. And then like mental was like, not really, you just like, I don't know, God will handle it. It'll be fine, you know, but it needs to sort of be brought in because that's part of if the goal of the Christian life is wholeness. And I believe it is at the end, that is what is the world will be. That is what we will be we will be whole and we will be in the presence of God fully. And I think um, that is what we need to focus on now. And so in our discipleship, I think those relationships and those like equipping, um, you know, teenagers and, you know, adults even to understand what's happening in their minds and, and like the, the feelings that they're having emotionally and how that sort of 
can be shaped or used or be information for what they do and, you know, helping them to grasp, you know, what um, good motivation is or what people, I guess that's sort of the wrong word because I don't want to like shame people into like, you did this wrong, but it's, yeah. but I think there is something to like getting them caught up in the vision of what the church is and what it means to follow Jesus so that the becoming lives into that instead of it just being a matter of checking boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Um, I love how you appropriated that word. Um, And a lot of what your description was leading up to that and other parts of the book and then around that description reminded me um, he wasn't one of my professors, but he was a professor at Grand Canyon University for a long time. And then he ended up being a pastor for a few years at my home church. And he talked about the idea of spiritual maturity. And just as you talked about, so you have the truth, right? You have the content, doctrine, you have actions. But if you're not mature in all these other areas of life, you're not spiritually mature because it should be a straight line across. It's not like, well, I have all this doctrine and I'm able to check all these boxes off of doing these right practices. So I'm spiritually mature. And there's a lot of people who have been following Jesus for a long time who are deacons, elders, um, like that go-to volunteer in that church who are all over the place. And that's great. And the kingdom needs them. Um, But I've also met people who are in in those positions who, when they're asked to step up, uh, maybe into a different position or asked to come forward to be part of a, a group that gives like central input to the vision of the church, um, they, it's, it's cool moment to have them realize like their own lack of humility and lack of preparedness for that moment. Or like, you know, I know all these things, but when it comes to other areas of my life or how does it going to affect that? I don't know if I'm that person to be talking to or people who are, uh, nominated and brought on to be a deacon or an elder and don't know what it means to be a deacon or be an elder. They're just yeah. that guy who's been around. Um, and so I think it's um, I think it's great for us to look at the holistic perspective that, that you bring up. And um, just as you mentioned in the book about education, which is, is almost exactly what that professor also said, of the more educated I get, the more I'm aware of how much I'll never know. And I oh, think yeah. we need to I think we need to take that, which I think you argue for well. I think we need to take that approach with our discipleship and our spiritual growth because the moment that someone who's been a believer for x amount of years doesn't think they can learn anything from a teenager in a small group or from someone of a different generation um you know that that person has stopped growing um and i think to walk into a room where you're not where you're actively thinking i'm not the smartest person here i have something to learn from everyone here and to believe that not just have it be an empty mantra um, mm-hmm. I think that's a good approach for teenagers to take, for youth leaders to take, um, as far as starting to grasp in their weekend, week out ministry with teenagers or just being part of the church, what you're talking about here, um, in your book. Yeah, thanks. No, I think it is important. I think humility is probably one of the most underrated traits, um, in the world, but also, but especially in the church, there's, 
And that's not to say that you can't be confident, right? I think there's a difference between, you know, confidence and arrogance and, Mm -hmm. um, and we've maybe become less adept at figuring out what that is, like finding, like treading that line and picking people or seeing people. Um, but again, I think that's why community exists, right? And that's why we need to give ourselves and everyone in the room permission um, at no matter where they are to be able to speak into situations or speak up about people or whatever, because that's, it's only by having everyone together and a variety of experiences in the room and, and feeling confident enough to share their voice that we get, you know, the whole picture of a person, but also the whole picture of like, whatever we're doing in scripture, I think it requires all of us. Um, and so we need to, continue to value all those different sort of experiences and perspectives, um, you know, in our approach to teaching or even, you know, managing church ministries, because I think that's going to be, um, yeah, the way forward is going to be, you know, connecting to a whole bunch of other people and experiences, because I think that's how we sort of figure out, um, that there is more to learn. But if we're always in this sort of like, we only ever hear from the same kind of people, mm-hmm. you're going to sort of start feel like feeling like, well, I've already heard this. I've already done that. Um, but if it's looked at from a different angle by a different person, that's when it breaks open again for you. And that's what makes it real and um, special and exciting and joyful again. And so I think we need to lean into that because I think we need that more than ever. Yeah, totally agree. Um so you used the word in your book, and I used it in the title of this episode. So I think it's good for us to qualify that adjective joyfully. Um, you also mentioned just a second ago how to engage each other well. Um, I got to interview Daryl Bach uh, with his cultural cultural intelligence, yeah, cultural intelligence book that dropped on uh, election day, twenty twenty. I did that on purpose, um, but he used a word that he borrowed from the music world triphonic and since you have three orthos in your in your book you know to use a daryl bach word your triphonic description of discipleship um as far as a practical sense of how to start engaging that the first thing you list is a sense of belonging and that's a perpetual thing for teenagers to want to find as they're answering Mm -hmm. who, who am i and um i definitely found youth ministry as my sense of belonging in the place where I best saw the lived out narrative of the church more than any other point in my life, especially at that, at that time. Um, so how can youth workers um, help students find a faithful rhythm of serving joyfully while a lot of them are even in the process of finding a place to belong? Because even students who come week in and week out, they might not feel yet or maybe at all, depending on the depth of it, if youth ministry is their place where they belong. So how do you think youth workers can help students like hold those together? Because that's probably not complete yet. Yeah. So I think helping people at first like feel like they belong, I, I think we sort of have this idea that it means that everything is just right and we get along with with everyone and we know we all agree or we all have the same interests and all that stuff. Right. But I think it really... Mm-hmm starts with this idea that no no matter who you are, 
you are loved here, you're cared for here, you're supported here, you're believed here, you're seen here. I think it has to sort of start from that place, just like a radical commitment to like see and be with people. Like even if it's not a lot of talking, just like proximal, like but proximal presence and like continuing to like, you know, check in or just be around or recognize, you know, something in someone. So I think a lot of it just like starts with an attitude of like ready to love and then also just paying attention, right? I think there's Mm. so much paying attention that we can do for each other. And then it's really easy to know like, oh, then this person needs this, or they said this, which means I can, and I can help them in this way, or I can introduce them to this person. And so I think it just sort of starts with, you know, being committed to love, paying attention to what they're saying, doing and what they need, but also giving them like, permission to be who they are um, and live that out. I think there's so much of, I think there's always ideas of like what the perfect, whatever fill in the blank is, whether that is, Mm -hmm. you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, um, worker, youth person, like whatever it is, there is like an, an assumed ideal of what that is. And just like, and so I think you can be intentional as, youth ministry to have a variety of people in leadership um that's so that there is again a variety of experience and background and perspective and interest so that people are like oh they're weird too i can be weird here it's safe to be weird here mm-hmm. it's celebrated here right yeah. and so i think it's i think that's really just like how we cultivate an atmosphere of belonging is just like letting people be weird (laughs) and celebrating it. Right. And so I think that's really, yeah, how that starts. And it just sort of like, it's okay for it to be in the middle and in process. Cause we're all sort of, I think it's also okay to walk into a room and wonder, is it safe for me to be here? Can I be my whole self here? And so the commitment from the ministry end is to make that a place that is safe for people to be there. And so um, and then I think you can just sort of like create rhythms in which people can be proximal to other people, um, you know, and those different perspectives, even if they don't like fully participate, right? I think just kind of like rubbing shoulders with people, being in the same space as people, hearing from a variety of people, um, again, gives that permission that they need um, to figure out where they may fit. And so I think if you're celebrating all the different kinds of people that are there, people will feel more like they're belong, like they can belong. And I think when they feel they belong, even the littlest thing becomes joyful. And so it can be a regular check-in every day or every week or whatever. Um, but I think what part of what makes it joyful is not just our relationship to God in the practice, but our relationship to others in the practice. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. feeling like you can be yourself in those spaces is probably, you know, I these days I would put that as like top of my list for like what makes a good ministry environment is just feeling like everyone can be themselves and do so respectfully and with tools and like, you know, there's still lots of conversation and like, you know, things that we have to work out as human beings, like all those orthopathy things. Right. But, um, but I think when people feel that a lot of the guard comes down and it lets them feel like they belong, um, and they bond a little bit more quickly and, um, it makes whatever practice they do, even if it's picking up garbage on the side of the road, if it's with people that they enjoy doing that with, 
um, then they're going to enjoy the practice just as much. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think hopefully, I think every healthy youth ministry would be just as you described a place where everyone can be weird and celebrate it (laughs) because there's a lot of weirdness that comes in with, with teenagers anyway. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's um, more true post COVID. It's probably just in the last 10 years or so, but you know, uh, with social media and connectedness and how trends are like, if a trend is more than a week old, it's like, wow, this has staying power where before trends were like seasonal or yearly, you know, like the biggest thing that happened on YouTube one time was the guy who said, hide your kids, hide your wife, you know, (laughs) like, like there's, uh, there's things that move so quickly now and Mm -hmm. youth workers probably feel like, well, if I don't know all the TikTok dances, if I don't know this and who's saying what and did that, then the students are going to find me irrelevant and not helpful. And I've shared on many episodes before and even talking with people, but um, by far the the best youth workers I've seen don't give a rip about being cool. They're the ones who are present and consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the best example I've ever seen of that is a youth worker who was uh, close to 80 years old. He was the seventh grade boys leader at summer camp. And I was a speaker. It was my home church, but I came in when I was in seminary to help run some seminars and do some stuff. And it was 10 o'clock at night and there was a camp talent show. And he was letting the boys like put his hair all up and like with shaving cream and green dye and stuff. And I'm like, they don't care anything about his knowledge of pop culture or whatever. They care that he's here engaging with them, you know, and that's what it's all about. And so the ability to have that comfort for leaders, and if they mimic that and show that, um, then students hopefully will feel like, okay, it is a safe place for me to be myself, or at least hopefully think this could be a safe place, not come in, see everything going on, get wide-eyed, sit in the corner and wait for mom or dad to come pick him up. You know, it's, um, especially with just all of the expressions of identity today um, and how a lot of them are hot button and polarizing. And well, if you come in here, you have to dress this way and do this. And, you know, I understand there's a lot of important things with that, but also the more I talk with people who are really up to date and trying to stay in a youth ministry, they're like, we need to place a lot of things to the side and just make sure, first of all, can people just come in our building? Because <laughs> they need to be able to do that. Um, and yeah, I think having a place that's everyone's weird and celebrated and seen um, is a good start. I think on that, like love is always relevant, right? Like it doesn't matter what else is going on or how much you know about everything. Like you can connect with people over the humanness and the hard things that you've been through and like all of these different things. You don't have to connect them on like this, like top level interest level. Right. And so I think allowing that to be um, available and if they know that it's a place where they can walk in and be loved then, and you know, all of those other things are going to be side issues, if not an issue at all, depending on the churches that you're in, um, then 
then I think that's important. But like you said, if we make those things the top level thing, you're you're never ever going to be able to have relationships with certain and not just like those kids, right, who have those identities, but um, in their humanness, but even their friends who are standing up for them or hanging out with them, like there's a lot of there's. Yeah. I mean, without that, without that honoring of their humanness and, um, you know, regardless of what you think of the identity, you know, remembering that humanness and um, letting them, you know, exist as they are, like, if you can't just let them exist, then there's never going to be an opportunity for any other kind of thing. Um, and they probably need that love more than a lot of other people do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I think so. Um, yeah. So we've kind of mentioned it here a little bit. And so getting specific now um, with, you know, I think the closest we can grasp that completeness feel of Shalom, this side of Jesus coming back uh, is what you've been talking about this whole time, you know, faithfully and fully living out our best human qualities as followers of Jesus and to qualify it in, um, just like that. And, you know, which I also grew up, you know, uh, lumping our humanness in with the perpetual battle of flesh versus faith. And sure, there is truth to that. But I think we generalize it and polarize it, which kind of seems to be the mode of how you do everything today. (laughs) And so, um, Kay, what's a word of advice you would give youth workers who are trying to help students think about themselves in a more holistic light of, yes, creation's broken, yes, there's sin, but when God made us, he said we were very good and the incarnation (laughs) proves that we have eternal worth. And so, um, yeah, what would you tell youth workers who are trying to counsel students to live out their best human selves, not just separate all that and just be faithful? Yeah, I I think that's so good. And I love that you bring up the incarnation there because I think there is this idea that like flesh, because of the terms used in, in the English version of the Bible, mm-hmm. that it is inherently mm-hmm. sinful when it's yeah. not, right? Like if that was the case, then Jesus could not have been who Jesus is. And so there is sort of this rewriting of that script that we need to do. And then, yeah, understanding that like it is, I think the journey to wholeness is a journey of like reintegration, right? Of all mm-hmm. these things, I think sin broke a lot of those connections and it sort of like turned them into different sort of it. I here's an example. So like um one of my friends is a therapist and she's like, did you know that excitement and nervousness are biologically the same feeling, right? But it's the story that you have around it that your brain will say is this or that thing, right? And so if um <clears throat> so it's like even being nervous, like could be excitement or it could be nervousness. And those are all fine, but we sort of like have a bad on one side and a good on another when really they're the same thing. <laughs> um, And so how do we then sort of like push these into like reintegrate ourselves and have this like idea of like our feelings as information, right? Or our bodies as like when they're in pain as like information that we need to do, or that even emotional things affect our bodies in ways that we ne- we 
didn't know until more recently. So it's sort of this, like, in order to be whole spiritual beings living in physical bodies, um, and I wouldn't even characterize it that way because that makes it sound like they're separate and they're actually together, is to sort of take all of this together. And so I think it's a matter of just, like, reminding ourselves that all of these things that have been sort of vilified are they're not bad they're part of our experience they're part of Jesus's experience and that our journey isn't a separation of them fully it's the full reintegration of them in wholeness in goodness um <clears throat> in holiness and so to treat them as such like how do we if we care for our spirit we should care for our body and we should care for our minds and that even just like we get nudges from Holy Spirit about something, we get nudges in our body and nudges in our feelings. And how do we use those as information um, that isn't separate from our spiritual life, but as part of our spiritual life. And, you know, so the things that we do in our body are spiritual, just the same way that the things that we think can be spiritual and the things that we spiritualize are spiritual. And so I think we just have to start erasing some of these lines Um and work toward using them for our full growth um, and health on every level instead of just doing one in spiritual and then like ignoring everything else. So I, yeah, I think we just have to rewrite a lot of the stories and keep reminding ourselves of the value of each part of it toward, if you do want to put a focus on the spiritual things toward the spiritual um, rather than seeing it as a hindrance or something separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's un it's untraining our attempt to com- compartmentalize in order for us to be more faithful. <laughs> it's had to yeah. shatter that to be with to be more faithful to how God made us in his image and live that out fully, right? And not being afraid to embrace things about ourselves uh that have been affected by sin and being able to like be accountable in that and yet not apologize for trying to live that out because yeah living together right that limited but in but this side of jesus coming back like probably the most practical approach to shalom and being complete and seeking the fullness of the kingdom yet to come uh yeah that's probably the best way for to for leaders to teach students and then for all of them to model that for them as well. And I know being, you know, in the local church, at least, a lot of that is dictated by the approach and the doctrine of the church. Um, but, um, yeah, so it's it's not a, well, here it is, cut and paste. It's, it's part of a process, but I think it starts with having the right perspective. And I, yeah. think, I think what you laid out here is a template for that, that people can sub in, okay, here's where I go to church, here's whatever. But I think the actual approach um, is a template that can be used, not just a one size cram it all in. Yeah. And I think that even goes to like the work that the church does on the outside, right? That like taking care of people's physical presence is a Mm -hmm. spiritual work. And so I think it's 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 not just doing it for ourselves, but again, modeling it outside to other people mm-hmm. and saying every part of you is valued here, not just your soul. Um, and and making that sort of like your living practice too. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Kate, thanks again for hopping on the podcast. Um, I'll definitely be promoting your book that drops in a month. Congrats. That's awesome. And um, yeah, I'll drop uh, links to contact info for you. People want to get in touch with you or see more about your book in the show notes and the YouTube description. Uh, Thanks again for hopping on. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Kate for joining me. You can find the link to pre-order her book and other resources in the show notes. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And be sure to check out our website, youthministrymaverick.com. There, you can see a comprehensive list of our guests, their bio information, some organizations that can help you in your ministry, some articles I've published, and a store to help support the podcast. Also, we would love if you give us a review on Apple Podcasts, not just a rating, but a review. It helps our visibility, and we would really appreciate that. If you do leave us a review, take a screenshot of it and send it to me, and I will personally mail you a thank you card with some podcast swag that you can't get on the store. Well, that does it for today. Thanks again for listening. Please share this if it helps others that you know, and we hope that you've been encouraged by it. Until next time, adios.